Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and uh, turn to Psalm 46. That's the passage that we'll be reading today and uh, also the passage that we're going to be studying together today. So let's read Psalm 46. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for um, the opportunity, the privilege that is ours to open and study it together. Father, we're specifically thankful that uh, your word is is not a powerless word. It is a powerful word, Uh, that it was empowered in terms of its writing by the work of the Holy Spirit, that's empowered in our hearts and lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you today for that powerful word of God. We thank you, Father, that we are your people today and that the work that you have begun in us is a work that you are going to continue to perform until it is fully completed. And so we thank you, Father, ahead of time for what you're going to accomplish in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our church today through your word in the accomplishing of your work of the gospel and you're wanting to finish that work. Father, we recognize today that uh, we're all strugglers here. Uh, We come from a week of uh, ups and downs and twists and turns and highlights and lowlights, things that we've battled with and struggled with, things that have come our way this week. And we come here today, Father, as humble people. We need your help. We need your work. We need your word. We need you to accomplish your good purposes in our lives, and we trust you for that today. Again, we thank you for your word today so much. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I think it was um, late January or early February of this year that I was was talking with a friend. And uh, as we were talking, we were were kind of uh, looking back. You know, kind of you do that sometimes. You're headed into a new year. You sort of look back on the, the year gone by and that sort of thing. And so we were doing that. I was talking with this friend, and we were talking about the two years that we had just lived through and the new year that had just begun. And we both agreed that uh, one word that would probably best describe uh, 2020 and 2021 was the word unprecedented, unprecedented. 
as we talked, we recognized that nearly every facet of life was sort of impacted by what went on in 2020 and 2021. Uh, church was impacted. Work was impacted. School was impacted. Shopping and travel and sports and entertainment. It seemed like whatever you want to name, whatever you want to think of, it seemed like everything in life was impacted. It was kind of unprecedented. So many things happened during that two-year period. And it didn't just happen here locally in southwest Michigan or, or here in the United States. It happened all across the globe, all across the planet. It was certainly something that I had never experienced in my lifetime in terms of the scope of what happened. It was unprecedented. As we continued talking, I, I asked her what she thought would be the right word to describe the new year, the new year that we had just begun. And so as she thought for a moment, and as we continued to kind of uh, reflect a little bit, she said, I think the word that would best describe the new year that we're just beginning is the word unpredictable. Unpredictable. 2020 and 2021 was unprecedented, and now as we were entering a new year, it was unpredictable. Unpredictable. Little did we know that within the first six months of the year of 2022, that we would experience gas prices going over $5 a gallon. I've, I've never seen that in my lifetime. In fact, I can remember as a little kid going up to the gas station with my father and paying 34 cents a gallon for gasoline, much less over $5 a gallon for gasoline. Little did we know that there would be a war in Ukraine, a war that would affect food supplies across the world, a, a war that would affect uh, oil supplies across the world and gas prices around the world. Little did we know that the stock market would have its worst six months in 50 years in this first half of the year. We didn't know that there would be more mass shootings. We didn't know that the Supreme Court would overturn Roe v. Wade. I don't know that any of us could have predicted that at the beginning of the year. It's just been kind of unpredictable. Coming out of 2020 and 2021, I think most of us were hoping for a different kind of year, a different kind of 2022. But we recognize that, you know, we never know what a year might bring us. In fact, not only do we not know what a year might bring us, we don't even know what a month might bring us. We don't know what a week might bring us. We don't know what a, a day might bring us. In all honesty, we don't even know what this afternoon is going to bring us. We just never really know. It's always unpredictable. And in light of that, it would be very easy for us to be overcome with fear. It would be very easy for us to be overcome with anxious thoughts and anxieties and feelings of hopelessness and, and all that sort of stuff. It'd be easy to fall into that. In fact, some of us may already be gripped by fear as we simply reflect upon the happenings of the first half of this year. Some of us may be struggling with fears related to issues within our own, our own families, related to issues within our jobs, our education. Maybe it's because of financial issues or, or health issues or some kind of geopolitical issue, just those issues that are surrounding us that we find ourselves immersed in. Sometimes those give us feelings of fear, and we find ourselves gripped with fear. Some of us may be wrestling with fears of failure as we just look at the past and we look at some of the things that we've done, some of the choices that we made, and we find ourselves now living sort of in the backwash and the consequences of those choices, and it just sort of fills our heart with, with frustration and anxiety and, and fears and all those kind of things. We may have fears because so much of our situation just seems to be out of our control. It's just out of our control. It's just so 
unpredictable. So the truth that we want to focus on today as we spend a few moments looking at Psalm 46 is this. When we're gripped by fear, we need to encounter God. When we're gripped by fear, we need to encounter God. Now, as you know, the Psalms are really a set of songs. We don't typically sing them, although some of them we put to music. We just usually read them or hear them. But the Psalms are songs. And Psalm 46 is actually a song of hope. It's a song of confidence. And like most songs, even the songs that we sing today, it is composed of stanzas. Psalm 46 is actually divided into three stanzas. And you might have noticed as that psalm was read just a few moments ago that the word selah is at the end of each one of the three stanzas. Now, as best we know, selah was actually a musical term telling the singers, telling the musicians that they were to pause, that they were to take a musical break. But I also think that it's more than that. It's more than just a musical pause. It's actually a word that God has determined to include it in his word to cause us to pause. He wants us to pause at the end of each one of these stanzas and rest for a moment and reflect for a moment and think about what he has told us in each of the stanzas. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's look together at each of these three stanzas. And as we do, let's sila. Let's rest. Let's reflect. Let's pause. Let's see what we can learn about encountering God when we're gripped by fear. What we can learn about encountering God when we're gripped by fear. Stanza number one is in the first three verses of this psalm. And if we were to give a tagline or a title line to this first stanza of Psalm 46, I think it would be this, God is my place of safety. He's my source of power, and he is my ceaseless helper. Look again with me at the first three verses of this psalm. The psalmist writes this, he says, God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. So this first stanza of this three stanza song, it speaks of God as our place of safety. He is our refuge. It speaks of him as our source of power. He is our strength. It speaks of him as our constant helper. He is a very present help. That's who he is. And because that's true, the text tells us, therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. And to top it off, the author of the psalm takes two of perhaps the most indestructible things that we could possibly think of, the earth and the mountains. And by way of hyperbole, by way of word picture, he reminds us that if the most reliable things in our lives, if the things that we think we can count on, if the things that we think are most indestructible are removed, if we lose everything that we've ever depended on, it'll be okay. He says, even if the earth gives way, even if the mountains be cast into the middle of the sea, it'll be okay. Why? Because God is our perpetual place of safety. He's our refuge. God is our continual source of strength. He is our ceaseless helper. He is a very present 
help in trouble. So the point that the writer of this song is trying to make to us in this first stanza is that we don't have to fear. We don't have to get all anxious. No matter how unprecedented things may seem, no matter how unpredictable things may seem, we don't have to fear hopeless because God can handle even the most unimaginable and uncontrollable scenarios that would enter our lives. I mean, just think with me in a little more detail for a moment about these three truths that we learn about God in verse 1. He tells us, first of all, that God is our refuge. Now, that little verb is, it doesn't look like much, does it? It's just a little, little two-word verb. But in the original language of the Old Testament, it means a lot. It not only means present tense, but it means indefinite. In other words, when the original readers of this song, of this psalm would have read this, when they saw that little word is, they would have thought indefinite. They would have thought perpetual. In other words, God is and perpetually will be our refuge. He will always be a place of protection. He will always be a place where we can find safety. The God of the universe says, you can come to me at any time in any place, and I will perpetually wrap my arms around you. I won't let anything take you down. Therefore, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. God is and perpetually will be our refuge. The second thing he tells us about God is that God is and continually will be our source of strength. In other words, it's just not a present tense thing. It's not that he's just our source of strength today, but tomorrow we're out of luck, or maybe next week it runs out. No, he is and continually will be our source of strength. In God, we have the strength for whatever circumstances we are presented with today or tomorrow or the next day even each moment of every day. So whatever strength is needed for today, because God is our continual source of strength, it will be there. The strength will be there because he will be there. He will be there. And tomorrow will be no different. And the next day will be no different. And the rest of the week will be no different. And the rest of this month of July and the rest of this year of 2022, it will be no different. Every day is undergirded with the truth that God is our present and continual strength. And he will always be our continual and our present strength. And the third thing he says is that God is and always will be our very present help. That little phrase, very present help, is actually communicating to us two different ideas. The first one is, is that God is readily available. He is always there and the second idea is that he is abundantly available. Not only is he always there, but he has everything that is needed, everything that is needed. I don't know about you, but I'm often one or the other, all right? Let's say you were to call me up this week or send me a text and say, Mark, uh, there's a tree in my backyard and I, I need to have it cut down. And I might respond to you, well, that's great. I have the week off, but the problem is I don't have a chainsaw. So even though I might be readily available, I'm not abundantly available. Even though I can be there, I don't have the resources that are necessary. Or maybe you call me up this week and say, hey, Mark, I'd like to power wash my deck. And I say, well, that's great because I have a power washer. But I've got a problem. My kids and grandkids are coming this week. So even though I have the resources necessary, I don't have the time to give you. But, you know, that's never true with God. 
God is a very present help. He is always there and always has everything that is needed. He is not only readily available, but he is abundantly available. Even though he has a lot on his plate, we are never off his plate. Even in unprecedented times, even in unpredictable times, no matter how hard the times might be, no matter how overwhelming they might be, no matter how uncertain they might be, he is and always will be our very present help. I mean, look at the imagery in verse 2 and 3. He says he's our very present help, even if the whole world is coming unglued, right? Even if the earth is crumbling, even if the mountains are crashing into the sea, he says that we can sila, we can rest, we can reflect, we can wait, we can trust, we can depend on him. So we need to do that. Why? Because God is my place of safety. God is our source of power. God is our ceaseless helper. That's the truth of stanza number one. That's the message that the songwriter wants to get across to us. Well, what about stanza number two? Well, stanza number two is found in verses four to seven. And again, if we were to give a title or a tagline to this stanza of this psalm, I think it could be this, that God is my confident hope. He is my confident hope. Look at verse 4 with me. It says in verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Now, this stanza begins with talking about the city of God, talking about the holy habitation of the Most High. That's a reference to the Old Testament city of Jerusalem. Now, if you knew anything about Old Testament topography and Israel topography and that sort of thing, you'd know that the old city of Jerusalem actually was placed on a very high place on the top of two small mountains. And it was surrounded by huge walls. It was a fortress city. And what was unique about the city of Jerusalem is that it had a continual source of water. The river Siloam literally flowed under one side of the wall through the city and out the other side of the wall. So they always had water. They always had fresh water, everything they needed. So the picture here is that there is a mighty fortress city that is surrounded by opposition and danger, raging nations, kingdoms that are tottering. Beyond the wall, the battle is fierce. But even with all that happening on the outside, a river continues to flow into the besieged fortress city. So those on the inside are filled with what? They are filled with confident hope. They are filled with confident hope. But more than that, more than just the fortress city, more than just the huge walls or the streaming river, the text tells us, the songwriter tells us that this is the dwelling place of God. This is his holy habitation. He tells us that God resides here. He tells us that God is in the midst of her. 
in what was true of the city of Jerusalem in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant because the temple was there and the Holy of Holies was there and the Ark of the Covenant was there and that's where God dwelt with his people. What was true of the city of Jerusalem in the Old Covenant is now true of the believer under the New Covenant. We are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. So ultimately, God is our confident hope. So even if our whole world is under assault, even if unprecedented chaos has become the dominant reality of our existence, even if unpredictability is the only future that we can see, the truth is that the Lord of hosts is with us. He's with us. He dwells within us. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. And when I see that phrase, the Lord of hosts is with us, it reminds me of an Old Testament story of Elisha and his servant. Now, that story is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. And before we actually look at that story, let me sort of preface and set the stage of the story. In that story, we have the, the king of Syria is at war with the king of Israel. So there's a battle going on. And as kings often did, and as they still often do when they're at war, they meet with their leadership team, and they plot their war strategy. They determine what they're going to do. And so the king of Syria is meeting with his leadership team and plotting his strategy. And on different occasions, he says, well, we're going to go here, or we're going to go there, we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. And it seems as if the very moment that he says it, that the king of Israel already knows exactly what he's planning and exactly what he's doing, and this drives the king of Syria crazy. He thinks there's somebody in the midst, in his midst, that is a spy. He thinks there's somebody that's sharing insider information with the king of Israel. And so we pick up the story in 2 Kings 6, verse 8, and here's what we read. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him, so that he saved him more than once or twice. So Elisha knows exactly what the king of Syria is plotting and planning. He warns the king of Israel. The king of Israel sends a few guys down there to check it out. And sure enough, it's exactly what Elisha said. Then in verse 11, we read, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of of this thing. In other words, because everything he said, the king of Israel knew about it right away. He believes there's a spy in the midst. And so he calls his servants and he said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, Well, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedroom. He knows every word that comes out of your mouth, every thought that you speak. And the king of Syria said this, Go and see where Elisha is, that I may send and seize him. I was told, it was told the king of Syria, that behold, he is in the city of Dothan. When the servant, so he sent there, verse 14, so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and they surrounded the city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? 
So you see the stage here. So the king of Syria finally figures out who's the one that is ratting him out. Who's the one that's giving out the insider information? Who's the spy in their midst? It's Elisha. He finds out where he's located at in Dothan. So he sends a small army to surround the city. He wants to take Elisha and, and take him out, eliminate him once and for all so there's no longer this problem. And the servant of Elisha gets up early in the morning. He goes outside to take care of a few responsibilities, and he sees that the city is surrounded, and he is gripped by fear. He's in a state of panic. He's frantic. And so he says to Elijah, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And in verse 16, Elisha said, Do not be afraid. Sounds like Psalm 46, doesn't it? Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of this young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, the Lord of hosts, that means the Lord of armies, in this case, the Lord of angel armies, is with us. And what was true in Elijah's life, or Elisha's life, is also true in Psalm 46, and it's also true for you, and it's also true for me. The Lord of hosts is with us. Now, folks, let's be honest. God knows how our minds tend to work. And I don't know exactly how your mind tends to work, but I know how my mind tends to work. When I get into a situation where I'm feeling a bit anxious and somewhat panicky and I'm getting a bit fearful and wondering how this is going to turn out and things, things seem a bit unprecedented and unpredictable, I kind of go like this. I say, God, um, I, I just feel like I'm unworthy of your help. You know my struggles. You know my problems. You, you know all the spiritual hiccups in my life. You know the things I've been battling with for years, and I just don't feel like I'm worthy of your help. And God, I don't feel like you're, you're, you're present in my life. I mean, sure, God, I could see how you could be a refuge for missionaries. I mean, they're really spiritual. Or be a fortress for Elisha. I mean, he was a prophet. I, I get all that, but not somebody like me. But notice the psalm writer. Look what he says. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of who? Jacob is our refuge. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the songwriter, I would not have chosen Jacob. I would have said the God of Abraham is my fortress. I mean, Abraham, the, the man that God called out of Ur in the land of the Chaldeans and brought him up to Haran and then called him out of Haran to go down into the land of promise, the, the man who God originally gave his first covenant with, which contains all the promises that all the other covenants come out from. I think I would have chosen Abraham. I say, it's the God of Abraham that's my fortress. Or maybe we would have chosen the God of Moses. I mean, Moses, the man that went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Moses, the one that was instrumental in bringing the plagues upon Egypt, that led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and going across on the dry land and the armies of Egypt being swallowed up in the, in, in, in the chaos afterwards and, and, and going up on Mount Sinai and the law and all that. I would have said the God of Abraham or the God of Moses, but the psalm writer says the God of Jacob. Why Jacob? Jacob was the guy that was always lying. Jacob was the guy that was always manipulating the system. Jacob was the guy that was always jockeying for position. Jacob was the guy that was wrestling with God. So why choose Jacob? Well, I think the psalm writer is reminding us 
that God is the confident hope. He is the God of angel armies for people like us whose lives aren't all together, whose lives aren't all together. It's not about our being deserving. It's about his grace being sufficient and his presence being inseparable. He is our perpetual place of safety. He is our continual source of power. He is our ceaseless helper. He is our confident hope. He is all those things for us, strugglers, wrestlers, people that are, you know, our spiritual lives and walks are oftentimes up and down. Therefore, we will not fear. Strugglers, we will not fear. We will sila. We will rest. We will reflect. We will pause. We will trust. We will wait. That's the second stanza. So after reminding us of all that God is and how it is that we need to encounter him when we're gripped by fear because he is our place of perpetual safety, he is our source of unlimited power, he is our uh, ceaseless helper, he is our confident hope, now we come to stanza number three found in verses 8 to 11. And again, if we were to give a title or a tagline to this stanza, it would simply be this, connecting to the greatness of our God. Connecting to the greatness of our God. Look at verse 8. The psalm writer writes this in verse 8. He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes he makes, uh, he, he, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So here's the picture. Here you and I are with all of our fears, all of our anxieties, all of our, our sense of, of hopelessness, everything that, that we're wrestling with. Here we are, and here God is, refuge, strength, ever-present help, confident hope. So here we are with our fears and hopelessness, and here God is with all of his greatness. And the question is, how do we connect the two? How do we connect them together? Well, the psalm writer tells us that there are two things that we have to do, two action steps that we need to take. The first one is this. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Now, again, that little word behold, it doesn't seem like much of a word to us, but the word in the original language, the Old Testament, is actually a very powerful and important word. The word behold literally means carefully observe and remember. So in verse 8, he's saying, come carefully, observe, and remember the works of the Lord. So when we're gripped by fear, when we're in the face of fear, we need to keep our focus on the works of the Lord. We need to keep our focus on everything that God has ever done from the dawn of creation in Genesis 1 right to this very moment in time. Everything he's done and is doing through the work of the gospel in our lives, centering our focus on his works and what he's done and is now doing, it opens our lives to an encounter with the greatness of our God. So if we're going to connect the two, our fears with his greatness, 
then we need to come, we need to carefully observe and remember the works of the Lord. So when we find our hearts or our minds becoming gripped by fear, the best thing that we can do is reflect on God's past greatness, his past deliverances in the pages of Scripture as well as in our own lives. We need to observe and remember the works of God. We need to go back to stories like Elisha and his servant. We need to go back to stories that are contained within Scripture's. Old Testament and New Testament, and just take the time to focus on those things, to meditate on those things, to fill our mind and hearts with the great works of the Lord. We need to reflect on the power of the gospel in our lives, how because of the gospel, we've been transformed from being dead in sin to alive in Christ, from being under judgment to being forgiven and cleansed, to being outside of God's family, to being an adopted child in God's family, to go from being um, alienated from God to reconciled to God. We need to pause and reflect upon the works of the Lord. He says, come, come, carefully observe and remember the works of of the Lord. And then the second thing we need to do, if we're going to connect our fears with God's greatness, is that we need to be still and know that I am God. We need to be still and know that I am God. When we're gripped by fear, our tendency is to try and do something, to do anything. We get a little frantic. We get a little panicky. We, we try to cut deals with God. But God says when you're gripped by fear, be still. Be still. When our circumstances seem as if they're unprecedented and the situation we're in is unpredictable, God says, be still. You say, how? How can I be still? Why should I be still? This calls for action. Well, the reason we can be still is this, verse 9. He, God, makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. God breaks the bow. God shatters the spear. God burns the chariots with fire. We can be still and know that he is God because he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. So when we're gripped by fear, we need to go to God the moment that fear comes calling. Stop trying to work out all the circumstances, our own wisdom and strength, because the Lord of angel armies is with us. The God of strugglers and wrestlers is our fortress, and therefore we can claim his promises. We can claim these truths that we find in Psalm 46 about his character and his attributes. In fact, probably one of the best things we could possibly do is just simply memorize the 11 verses of Psalm 46. And then when fear comes calling, we do what? We do what the psalm tells us to do. We sila. We pause and reflect. We rest and we meditate. We wait and we trust. Why? Because our God makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. Our God breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Our God burns the chariots with fire. Our God will be exalted among the nations. My God will be exalted in the earth. That's why. That's how. You know, as I think about all this, as I think about uh, coming and beholding the works of the Lord, and I think about uh, uh, being still and knowing that God is God, I'm reminded of uh, a very familiar story in the Old Testament, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. 
It's not really a story that needs a lot of explanation, but it's a story that, that fits perfectly with what we're talking about today. I just want to read to you that story or part of that story, and you can follow along on the screen. The story is taken from Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. And we read this in that verse, Therefore, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, in other words, ready to do what I want you to do, then when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, now you need to be ready to fall down and worship the image that I have set up. And if you do that, everything will be well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Folks, if there was ever a time to be gripped by fear, I would say this is one of those occasions, right? I mean, it's a pretty immediate, right? It's looking pretty difficult, right? But look at what happens. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, in other words, if this is what you're going to do, then our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. It was a bit unpredictable. So their hearts could have been gripped by fear because the outcome was unpredictable in their lives. But look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics, their hats and their garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. But verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astounded, astonished, and he arose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king, probably not a good time to disagree with the king, right? So whatever he said, we're going with it. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the perfects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those three men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And when we read that story, what does God say to you and what does he say to me? He says, come, behold the works of the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. These aren't just little stories for little kids, all right? This isn't just harvest kid stuff. This is harvest adult stuff, right? And harvest young people stuff, right? And folks, when we find ourselves, whatever the circumstances, when we're gripped by fear, and fear comes calling, and it seems like we can't, can't let it go, we can't get it off our heart or off our mind, we come to the text of Scripture, and we come and behold the works of the Lord, and we are still, and we know that He is God. Yet He is God. Paul Tripp is not a, uh, an unknown person to us in this church. Uh, Jamie oftentimes references Paul Tripp's and the different books and things that he has written. In addition to a number of books that Paul Tripp has written, he's also written a series of meditations, and he's kind of put them together in some different collections. And one of those collections that he's put together is simply entitled, My Heart Cries Out. My Heart Cries Out. And one of the meditations that is included in this collection is simply entitled, Afraid. Let me read it to you. This is again from Paul Tripp. Afraid. In this fallen world, diseased, shattered, broken, groaning, evil, and dark, there are many things to make me afraid. Afraid of weakness, afraid of temptation, afraid of others, afraid of the past, afraid of the future, afraid of myself afraid of sickness, afraid of sin within, afraid of evil without, afraid of being afraid. But in the midst of fear, I have learned that it is only fear that has the power to decimate fear. It is only when my heart is captured by fear of you that I live with confidence and I am no longer afraid. You know, I find it kind of interesting that Psalm 46 ends telling us not to be afraid, and then Psalm 47 begins with these two verses. Psalm 47 begins, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. It's just like Paul Tripp says, in the midst of fear, I have learned that it is only fear that has the power to decimate fear. 
It is only when my heart is captured by fear of you that I live with confidence and I am no longer afraid. No longer afraid. So let's end with these questions. Were 2020 and 2021 unprecedented? I think in a lot of ways they were. Maybe not in every way, but in a lot of ways. Those were some of the strangest two years that I've ever been through. Is the second half of 2022 unpredictable? Well, if the first half of 2022 is any indication, I think we'd all say, yeah, certainly is. We don't even know what this afternoon's going to bring, right? We don't know what tomorrow or next week or next month. And then this question. Would those words unprecedented and unpredictable describe the circumstances of your life today? Maybe you come here this morning or maybe you're watching online and just some things have come into your life in the last week or the last month, the last six months, the last two and a half years that just seem overwhelming. It's so unprecedented in your life. You just don't know where it's going. It seems so unpredictable. So would those two words describe the circumstances of your life? Perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe not for all, but maybe for some. Then here's the last question. What is not unprecedented? And who is not unpredictable? Well, what does Psalm 46 tell us? Psalm 46 tells us that the character of God is not unprecedented. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It's always the same. And the person of God is not unpredictable. He is and always will be our refuge and strength. He is and always will be a very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies is with us. The God of Jacob, of strugglers, of wrestlers is our fortress. So we can come today and we can behold the works of the Lord. We can be still and know that he is God. We can see love. We can rest and reflect. We can wait and trust. And because of that, we will not fear. We will not fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are today. We thank you, Father, for your character and for your person. We thank you, Father, that you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We thank you, Father, that you are our confident hope that we are your dwelling place, that God is in the midst of us, and therefore, we don't need to fear. Father, I pray this morning for anyone that is in this building or anybody that is watching online whose heart is gripped by fear because of the circumstances that they've recently come into or maybe circumstances that they've been wrestling with for a long, long time. Whatever the situation might be, Father, I pray today that they would take the truth of this text and allow their hearts to be, to be, to be uh, given hope and courage and confidence that they would come this morning and behold the works of the Lord. Those that are, that are talked about in the pages of Scripture and the, the works of the Lord in their own heart through the work of the gospel in their own life, and that today you would help us to be still, to be still and know that you are Father, help us today to see love, to rest and reflect, to wait and trust so that we will not fear. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Thank you.